Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The first round playoff series between the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets comes back to Portland 1-1. Hello, I am Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian, and this is the Blazer Focus Podcast brought to you by Bymart and Fred Meyer. Of course, there's a lot to talk about regarding this series. Portland took it to them in Game 1, winning 123-109, to and then the Nuggets came right back in Game 2 and pretty much blew the doors off the Blazers, if not for Damian Lillard scoring 42 points, 32 in the first half, and the final score of that game. It's 128 to 109. So what to make of this series? I'm not even totally sure at this point. Denver's getting more physical. They're using their size. They put Aaron Gordon on Damian Lillard in the second half of game two, which is why Lillard went two of nine in the second half for just 10 points. Now it's Portland's turn to counter with their own adjustments. We'll see how that goes. But today on the podcast, I'm not diving into all of that alone. I'm going to have some help because my guest today is Lamar Hurd, the color commentator for the broadcast team of the Portland Trailblazers. He works alongside with Jordan Kent. If you watch their games, you know Lamar well. He's in his fifth season with the Blazers. So let's get straight to that interview. We talked a long time. We got into how he got into broadcasting, his days at Oregon State playing basketball, his path to becoming a Blazers announcer. Also the horrors of working with Jordan Kent, whom I worked with for six years. Nah, just kidding. Jordan. Also, the secrets behind his fashion. He's a very fashionable dude. How did he become that way? You might be a little surprised. You might not. Who knows? And of course, the Blazers roller coaster season. We'll get into that. Clearly, he's someone who's really close to the team. The pandemic changes some of the dynamics of that, but he has some inside information and intel on how this team rolls behind the scenes. And then finally, we'll get into the playoff series with Denver. As I said, coming back to Portland, 1-1 will get his take on the series. Of course, he works for the Blazers. He's not going to pick against them, but he will tell you why he thinks they are going to win. So all that's coming up right here on the Blazer Focus podcast. Let's get to it. All right, now on the Blazer Focus podcast, I'm excited to welcome in my special guest today, Lamar Hurd, who's in his fifth season as the TV analyst for Blazer Broadcasting. Welcome, Lamar. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Now, I was plotting on having you on different parts of the season, but I kept saying to myself, I'm going to save the best for last. I'm going to save you for the playoffs, man. Get you out uh, no. here because I know you like to keep it real within, within a certain boundary, of course, because you work yeah. for the Blazers. But given what's happened in the first two games, I really want to get your take on sort of where this team is because things are getting juicy. But first, uh, real quick, you played at Oregon State. Basketball, obviously. Yes. You played against Jordan Kent. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And, <laughs> and then uh, what did you do after that before you got into broadcasting? I spent one season playing overseas in Germany. Okay. And yeah, I got a really nice opportunity to play there. 
and was planning to continue playing basketball professionally, whether it was in Germany or somewhere else in Europe. Um, or I also had a chance after my season in Germany to join the G League. Well, it's now the G League, but then the D League. Right. Uh, but I started working at this gym called the Hoop in Beaverton, just looking for a place okay. to work out and stay in shape as a basketball player. And I just made a deal with the people there that I could come in and use the gym anytime. And I would just coach some kids on the side for a couple of months until I went to go play somewhere else. And then I ended up uh, taking a turn, man. I ended up deciding to retire from basketball and start working with kids permanently on a full-time basis. And I just made that decision because uh, maybe the most impactful time in my life was when I was a youngster, when I moved out of my mom's house in Texas to go live with a basketball coach who then just really impacted me for the next seven years of my life and beyond still does to this day. Uh, but I was able to realize how important someone who shared that passion with you could be in your life. And so when I landed at the hoop and was planning for it to be a pit stop, it ended up being a long-term stay. So went from Germany to the hoop and beer return and have been in the Northwest ever since. And how'd you get into broadcasting? Well, fortunately, I made that decision in 2007 to start working with that group of kids there because in 2008, the following year, the athletic director at Oregon State asked me to be a part of a coaching, uh, a coaching search mm-hmm. because they were replacing a coach I actually played for at Oregon State. And I agreed to do it. And it was during that search process that the conversation was struck up from the athletic director of he remembered that I wanted to do broadcasting at some point in my life. And uh, he asked me if it's something I still wanted to do. And I said, yeah, of course. But in my mind, when I decided to start coaching those kids in 2007, I was foregoing the opportunity to be a broadcaster because, as you know, generally people uh, don't get any, I guess what you would call respectable broadcasting jobs with a a resume of you played only one year post-college and it wasn't even like in the NBA or, you know, like people don't really know you like that. So, and I was fine with it because I felt like the decision to coach the kids was the right decision for me at that time. Uh, but the athletic director said that there was an opportunity within Fox Sports Northwest, which is now Root Sports Northwest, where they were looking for former players to give a chance if they can, you know, if they could hang basically. And he said that I was, I was recent enough being just a year removed that I still had enough of name recognition that I could get my foot in the door. And he got me an interview the summer of 2008 with the executive producer of Fox Sports Northwest. And about two weeks after that interview, I got a call saying I was hired. And that was my that was my start. That was how it all got going. And now here and then eight years later, you end up doing the Blazers. Yeah. Yeah. Which was which was just as unexpected as basically my decision to start coaching kids. Like it's not something that I saw coming. It's not something I planned. Uh, 2016, I was sitting in my home office just doing some work on my laptop, preparing to sign back with the Pac-12 network because that's at, at that time I was working with the Pac-12 network and uh, there was just some changes within the network which were going to allow me to take on a larger role, uh, which I knew I was going to get. Uh, and and I, I love the balance that I had with the network and then also the time off it afforded me to continue working with the kids that I was working with at that time. So I just I was I loved my situation at that time. And I'm sitting on my computer in my home office and an email comes in from a trailblazer representative saying, uh, we don't know if you've heard of our recent vacancy in broadcasting, but we would like to talk to you. Wow. That's how it all started. I just forwarded that email to my agent. And I even told my agent at the time, like, I don't even know if this is real. I don't know 
if they if they mean this, like I don't know what's going on, but I'm not even I'm not even planning on taking this job because I loved where I was at so much, truly. Like that's how I felt. And it it was I remember it wasn't until I was in Las Vegas that same summer in 2016 for a kids AAU tournament. And in that during that tournament, I had a call scheduled with our director of broadcasting and our producer. And I'm in my hotel room and I'm, I'm like talking to them. And even as I'm talking to them and I know this is part of the interview process, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going back to the Pac-12. Yeah. You know, like I'm not even because like the thing about the Pac-12 and my situation there at the time was it was bigger than just broadcasting. Like I never set out uh, and, and said, I have a dream broadcasting job. There's a dream station I want to work for or team mm-hmm. like I want to be a part of purposeful things. And at the time with the Pac-12, like those people were like family to me and they were a part of not only my broadcasting professional life, but they understood how important the work I was doing with kids was. So there was times where like they would fly from San Francisco to come to Oregon to be a part of what I was doing. When I would go to San Francisco where the studios are located, you know, like we would have in-depth conversations about the importance of that kind of work. So like there was always that attachment there. Like it was much bigger than just broadcasting. So anyway, uh, in 2016 and that summer after that email, you know, it took a few months before I realized like, Oh, this blazer thing is like serious, you know, like this, there's, there's not only some life to this, but it's something I should really take a hard look at. And to kind of close this, um, it was when I had a conversation with Chris McGowan in his office which was kind of one of the last steps where I realized what he was about, you know, because a lot of people can talk to you and tell you what they care about. And you really don't know until time goes by and you can see their actions. Uh, but there was something about the way he spoke. Uh, he spoke with a level of conviction about the things he believed in and how much bigger the job was than just being a broadcaster. And that stuff was important to me. So it was enough for me to say, all right, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm going to at least try this out, you know, see how it goes. And for them, too, like I know it was a period where it's like we're bringing this dude in who did not play in the league, who has not broadcasted an NBA game before. I'm sure on their end, there was a feeling of we don't know how this is going to go exactly. Like we we all feel optimistic about it, but there's no certainty. So um, it was a good period for all of us involved to really learn about each other. And I, I think five years in, I think both sides have been pretty happy with the outcome so far. You know, I, re- I remember when you took the job and I was like, wow, that's, he, they must really like him because of the things you mentioned, right? Because mm-hmm. usually it's someone who has some kind of NBA experience or mm-hmm. what have you. Um, and you, you took to it right away. Obviously, you've done a great job. Were you a big, I assume you were a big NBA fan. You were already pretty in tune with the league. Were you in fantasy leagues and things like that? I, no, I, <laughs> How'd you I'm, follow the league? You know, I've tried a fantasy league before and I just, I, I was so terrible. Like my team performed the worst. Like I, I gave up on that. But I, I don't know if I would say I was a big NBA fan. I was a big basketball fan. Okay. Like I had a very good general knowledge of the NBA, but it's not like I was a guy that was watching every NBA game every week. Like I wasn't. I I was more in tune with my job. So I, I I was a big Pac-12 person. I could tell you every player on every team, each coach, their resumes, because that was my job. Okay. Um, and aside from that, my other job was working with kids every other day of the week. So that's really where I devoted my time. Uh, but I knew enough about the NBA that I, I knew that uh, upon taking a job, I can do little things like continue to learn uh, more of the history about the league, specifically about the Blazers. Like I had a good general knowledge of the Blazers. I've been in Oregon since 2002 
in Portland since 2007. Like I knew enough, but I wanted to know more. I wanted to be able, I could be able to do my job at a, a high enough level where I was providing the information I needed to for the fans. Um, and so like, you know, I, I just started that, that journey, you know, really connecting with people within the organization, within the NBA and just really trying to learn as much as I could. Okay. Now, your career has led you to work with Jordan Kent. Mm-hmm. This, uh, actually, starting with the bubble in this season. I worked with Jordan for six years. I'm thinking maybe we could start like a support group <laughs> or something, like surviving working with Jordan. Surviving Jordan. Oh, my God. No, obviously, obviously Jordan's a great guy. I yeah. love Jordan to death. One thing about Jordan is he's, he's the – I was – Refer to him kind of as the quiet, the baby face quiet assassin because he's really nice. He's the kindest person you'll ever meet. But every once in a while, he would just zing me like for yeah, something, he'll get you. right? Yeah, and he, and, I, and I'd be stunned. I'd be like, wait. That was kind of me. <laughs> I didn't know how to react because, like, it's so hard to come back at him like that because he's yeah. so nice and like, like what just happened? Yeah. After he sings you, he'll laugh about it like it was the greatest joke ever. He's so proud of it, and you're just like, okay, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. Are we, are we, are we you don't know how to feel, right. right? Because if it was anyone else, I'd have been like, what? Bam, 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 yeah. bam, and come back at him. But it's Jordan. You're like, wait. Yeah, yeah. Fun of Jordan, like yeah. uh, What's it been like working with my man Jordan? Oh man, it's been good. It's been a blast. I, I like it started off as a joke, but I told him seriously. I was like, "Hey, man, you you might need to write a book one day about uh, starting off as a broadcaster in the pandemic because his situation Mm. was so unique. I don't know how many broadcasters started their broadcasting career without fans. So not only the bubble last year, but then it started this season this year. Like he's doing games without fans. And he brought up a really good point to me one time. He was asking, like, do I think that, you know, his calls and our calls together are at a level of what it should be if fans are in the building? Speaking of like the vocal level, the audible level, you know, and I thought like, oh, you know, I never thought about I'm just doing this. I guess some of it off of memory, you know, like like I know I normally speak this loud if fans are in the building or not. And for him, there wasn't that comparison element to it. So, like, there's things like that that we've talked about throughout the year. But, I mean, for him to get started the way that he did going back last year at the bubble, I, I don't know how many people could do that. I don't know how many people could be thrown into a game, like significant games like that, too, mm-hmm. and just roll with it the way that he has. But, I mean, like you said, you've worked with him, so I'm sure it's no surprise to you. You've been able to see him in his broadcasting career in a way that he's just continued to build and rise in it. Um, so it's it's been a lot of fun. And I was really happy for him specifically when fans came back in the building for the game against the Lakers because he got a chance to experience that. And, like, it is – it's fun here. It's yeah. more fun here than it is a lot of other places because the fan base here really is, like, it's a home court advantage. And having the opportunity over the last five years for me to go to – other fan bases you see like how different it is there's there's a handful of fan bases like the one we get that piles into motor center each time um so like i'm excited even more so for the playoffs coming up uh you know with the capacity raising and all that like i, I it's going to be a lot of fun so let's segue into that topic then though you know what were the main challenges of, of doing your job during the pandemic aside from no fans but like you called every game from your home or I, no you guys would go to blazer broadcast yeah. studios, right yep because yeah, you, you would do a show pregame do you guys do a pregame mm-hmm. show yep yeah. we do a pregame yeah. show mm-hmm. right and so you guys would be separating obviously and doing it but how tough was that i'm one of those people that like if 
like the elements are what they are. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I kind of go into a situation and, and say, okay, what, what, what do we have at our disposal here? All right. We don't have fans. We don't have uh, people we can talk to at home games. Okay. We can't go down on the floor. So we're not going to have the normal conversations with players or coaches, or whatever. And then once I get all that, it's just like, all right, now do the best of what you got. Right. So for me, I think I just try to take that mental approach of, like it's, it's fine, you know what I'm saying? Like it's this is what we have, and and just do the job. Like that's I feel like that's part of also working at this level is that you have to be able to adapt and mm-hmm. and just get the job done, kind of with a no excuses approach. Uh, but the differences, the main differences for me is is number one for road games, we're we're in the actual broadcasting studio watching on a TV screen, and with the TV screen, you can't see everything, you can't you can't hear a lot of the little things that you hear during a normal situation that can give you insight into, okay, so here's why they're running this, or here's, here's what coach Stotts just said to Dame or CJ. So that's why they just took this specific shot. Like for the most part, I was going off of, and still am, you know, as there's still a week left in our broadcast, um, I was going off of just kind of my history with the team and with the players and like what I know of them. But when you're actually there on site, you know, there's it, it eliminates any guesswork at times. If there are questions like there's sometimes something might happen in a game, like let's say it's a three game road trip, uh, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston. Something happens in a San Antonio game and it's like, man, why did why did they shoot that shot or why? Why didn't it, why did they switch this guy onto this guy? Then in the next stop at Dallas, I can have that conversation before the game. Right. You know what I'm saying? In a, in an organic way. And, and, and if, if I like really, really need to get to the bottom of something, I have phone numbers for the guys and for people with the staff and like I can do that, but it just doesn't feel the it's same. Different. I don't want to, you know, yeah, it's there. I don't want to text them after a tough loss, uh, on a Saturday. Now they're going to this other city and it's just a, it's a different deal. Um, so like, I would say for me personally, like those are the biggest things. Um, also, one thing I like to do is I like to make sure we are understanding the game and the rules of the game at as high of a le- level as we can for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. So for number one, first of all, as a broadcaster, it's like our responsibility to give you the truth to, you know, like whether you know, something that you want to hear as a Blazer fan or not. So like if Nurk committed a foul, but you thought it was a clean block and the rules say it's a foul, then I want to be able to explain, here's why it's a foul per the rules. I might not have liked the judgment of the call, but I'm going to at least give you the understanding of here's why they did this. Also, in normal times, when I'm at the games, there's times where a call might be made and Coach Stotts will look at me and ask me, what do you think? Like, because what coach wants to know, and a lot of coaches do this with their broadcasters, if they feel like they can trust them, because mm-hmm. the, the last thing they want is for a broadcaster to tell them a lie just right, based on some time. kind of emotion. Yeah, because <laughs> then the coach will go look like an idiot. Right. And Coach Joss is really good about this because he doesn't he generally doesn't complain about something unless he knows mm-hmm. like he wants to know for sure. Well, there's been a couple of times this year where Dame is like, review it, review it. Yeah. Like, no, nah, man. You found yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like he <laughs> wants to know. So like there's times where he might look over and like he knows from me, he knows like if I go to Lamar and I just ask him like, and just because I answer a certain way, it doesn't mean he's going to take my answer right. and then run right. with it, but he's going to consider it. And he's got to know from me, like, 
100% of the time, not 99%, 100%, Lamar's going to give me the real. And so, like, in order to do that, too, I got to know, like, was that a foul per the rules? Mm-hmm. Not was that a foul based on what I feel. Right. Um, one thing that I really missed out on this season is, like, having the ability to be able to talk to officials. Like, I, uh, my first couple years, I would try to come to games with, you know, a question or two for, for the officials before the game, just to further understand the NBA game. Like I told you, you know, like I was a, a general yeah. fan, but I didn't know it inside and out. And like, I wanted to know more. Um, and so it got to the point, like by year three, there's times where if I didn't have a question, officials would come to me where, I, where I sit <laughs> on the broadcast and they'd say like, what? No question today or nothing. <laughs> and like, I missed that because. Right. Uh, it's twofold. I want to understand the game at that level. And then also, I know this isn't a popular thing, uh, because bashing officials is easy, but I also want to get it right for the officials. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like officials, like they're people too. They got families too. And, and, you know, like we, I, I just think it's right to represent them correctly too, whenever we can. So, um, well, I just, a lot I, of times fans are upset because they don't understand the rules. Correct. The official got it wrong. Correct. And that happens to me, Aaron, that happens at least just as much as the official actually getting it wrong. Like, it's just like, no, you just don't understand because some of these rules got some crazy nuances to them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that would be the other thing that that I have really uh, missed during this season and has made the job a little different. Uh, but all in all, I feel like we've been really fortunate where uh, within our specific Blazer Broadcasting crew, you know, we have the things we need. We have the elements. We've just been able, I think, to to do the job well enough to provide the fans with something that they can watch and enjoy. And that's that's it at the end of the day. All the little circumstances around that, that, that doesn't really matter much. So do you feel, though, that you're a little detached from the essence of the team, the feel of the team, the the of the just all those guys together. Sometimes you would be around them, and then you're not for basically a year, right? Yeah, compared to what it normally is, there definitely is that feeling of detachment. But but then that goes back to again: is it so big of a feeling? Um, is that gap so wide that it impacts how you're able to do the job? And I don't know that for me personally. Like some of our other broadcast members may feel differently. But for me, I don't feel like it's been enough where I don't think I can get the information I need when I actually need it mm-hmm. and still do the job. But to the point of your question, yeah, it's totally different. Not being able to get on a bus um, after we leave a hotel the day after a big win or a tough loss and be able to see the guy's reactions to be sitting uh, right next to Nurk and hear how he feels and what he's saying like that is a that's certainly a difference that we're not getting this year you are listening to the blazer focus podcast we'll be right back after a short break now from the outside this is my first time covering a full nba season i've covered football most of my life um so but i've so i've missed out on the locker room time and getting you know to know guys. Um, but from the outside and just doing the zoom interviews, it does seem like it's a really good group of human beings. Right? Yeah. You know them personally. How do you yeah. feel just about them as humans, as people? I couldn't speak highly enough about it. There's sometimes in games where I'm, I'm close to going off on tangents about it. We always talk about Dame as a leader 
And I try as much as I can to talk about CJ also as a co-leader because I really think their relationship is special on so many levels. You don't typically see it where a guy like CJ could go play for another team or when Dame's not in the lineup. And if you say, CJ, we're giving you the ball, he could go out and get 25, 30 a night. Um, He can average six plus assists like We've seen him do it in games when Dame hasn't played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for them to kind of coexist the way they do is really unique. And I, I just, I, I want to always give that its due as much as I can uh, without, <laughs> without uh, taking too much away from the broadcast of the actual game, the actual play by plays that's taking place. But the, the people involved in the organization from the coaching staff to the players, is for me what makes me feel really good about my job broadcasting a team. Like I told you, for me, being a broadcaster was never just about I want to be the best broadcaster, um, the most known. I want I want people to turn on their TV to see me and like me. I want to work for ESPN. I want to work for the Blazers. Like it was never that for me at the start. It's like I want to do meaningful work through this broadcasting. For me to be able to know. I'm representing players and coaches every game who I know are solid, solid people who are good people. I'm aware of a lot of things they do that maybe the general public isn't like that excites me to broadcast for them. That that's what makes me fans of them. Like I they make me more of a Blazer fan. They make me more of a fan of who they are individually because of who they are and what they represent. Like it's a, it's a really, just really special group. And it's, it's unlike, um, I, I would feel confident saying the majority of locker rooms, not just in the NBA, but I mean, in, in any sport in general, like it's, it's, it's unique. And it's something that I, I really hope that fans are able to really enjoy and appreciate at the level to which it deserves because you, you don't get this often. Now, one of the benefits, though, of the pandemic, I, I guess in our job, <laughs> is that we didn't have to travel, didn't have to travel. Mm-hmm. Now, most people in our business like to travel. It's fun. You go to different cities and stuff like that. But you got to stay home and spend mm-hmm. more time with your, your wife, Bethany, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure she maybe appreciated yep. that as opposed yep. to when you're gone for 41 games. Mm-hmm. So was that a little bit of an added bonus to Without the question. situation? Without question. That, that to me, was uh, the, the best part of an unfortunate year in in my life and our lives uh, personally. Um, my, my wife is my best friend, hands down. Um, there hasn't been a time where uh, we've wanted time apart. Um, you know, <laughs> like- you got a road trip, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, like we enjoy hanging out together all the time. Like even before doing this, we got a chance. We make breakfast together every morning, which is just something fun. We just like to do like neither one of us are great cooks. Like she would tell you that. Like we're 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 okay, but like we don't put our stamp on right. cooking. But like we just enjoy doing it. Like even something as simple as this. Like people would always ask me my first couple of years. You know, like hey, how, do you, who picks out your outfits for you before a game and stuff? And like, are you really big in a fashion? And the thing is, like, I'm not. Um, I'm I'm like not. If I could go to games and just wear sweats all the time. I, I kid you not. I would do That's it. That's how I am, I, dude. I would do it every single game. I would have a hoodie on, some sweatpants, <laughs> and I would be chilling. My shoes wouldn't be tied. 
Um, I don't know what kind of socks I'd wear. Like I would, I might have some slippers on. I would be chilling <laughs> if I could. Slippers. But what, but what started happening is, oh is years ago, um, when I, when I would like get ready for games, this is like Pac-12 stuff. Um, I would, I had like some suits in a different room in the house I was living in at the time. And there's times where I would like try to pick out, you know, like, okay, here's what I'm just going to wear. Here's what I'm taking to the Pac-12 studios or whatever. And then Bethany and I, like we were a few years in a dating at that time, like she would like just make suggestions like, hey, why don't you do this, do this. And like that has just evolved from that to like now there's a separate room in our home where like all my game suits, ties, everything are. And we will go and spend at sometimes like 30 minutes, like just messing with different outfits and stuff. And it's just it's just fun. We just enjoy doing it. But at the end of the whole process, it really doesn't even matter what it is I'm wearing. It's just like we just enjoyed like talking about like, oh, you like that shirt? Oh, that shirt's ugly. Like, why would you put that color together with that? Like, that's the tie you chose. Um, so that whole thing. So, yeah, man, the whole year, like not not having to get on a plane, especially at the pace of this season, the way it's been going. I can't even imagine to travel this year. But, yeah, being able to just be home the entire time has certainly uh, for us been been a blessing for sure. So it sounds like in your relationship with your wife, just like my relationship with my wife, many times you have heard the phrase, you're going to wear that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, she, she gets questioned some of my choices at times. And then, I'll yeah, come down she'll the make stairs, her edits. Sometimes my wife would be like, you're not wearing that, are you? Yeah. I'm like, I'm dressed <laughs> in it. Like, no. no, you can't. But you want the real, though. That's what you, you well, want. That's, you know what? Sometimes you have to have your wife to keep you, you know, from hurting mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Trying. Yes, indeed. Okay, that's hilarious. Um, so now we know that the secret behind your fashion is the wife. Okay. Yeah, it's a collaborative um, effort. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to this season because on the court, obviously, it's been, you know, we talked about our jobs, mostly yours, and dealing with the pandemic. But for the players, my goodness, you know, every team's had to go through this the travel schedules, and players have talked about how you arrive in the city at 3 a.m., 9 a.m., COVID tests, go back to your room, try and get some sleep, then you got, you know, walkthroughs or whatever. Um, given all of that, uh, as a former basketball player, you know, one year in Germany and playing in college, how, um, how much empathy do you have for everyone in the league for what they've had to deal with? And I know some fans will say they make millions. We get that. No one's going to cry tears for them to, you know, to that degree, but regardless of how much money they make, that doesn't make it not difficult. So how, how impressed or how much empathy do you have for them? Tons, tons, um, it's even worse than I thought it was. I was actually just talking to CJ McCollum about five or so days ago. Uh, we did this shoot together. And uh, throughout the conversations, like he he informed me even what that experience was like when they were in Atlanta and had to evacuate the hotel, if you remember mm, that. That's right, yeah. Because of the tornado, tornado. warning. And just the schedule surround, like the 72-hour schedule surrounding that whole situation as a broadcaster, I couldn't even imagine how tired I would have been. Like there's certain times when in normal times when we travel with the team and like we'll get to the next city and like I'll be tired and I'll be thinking like, man, I'm over here. I don't even know if I want to go to the hotel gym and work out <laughs> like I want to go to some arena and play a game right now. Right. So like I know what the normal schedule's like, but what they're doing this year to an extent is kind of unimaginable. Like um as he was just painting a picture of like the testing process 
what time you're getting in somewhere, what time you then have to get up and combining all that with like their normal lives. And that's something that the players, you know, like they'll talk about a lot, um, just the feeling from them, not just Blazer players, but players in general. Like, you know, sometimes there are segments of a fan base that can fail to consider the elements of that person's life outside of basketball, like the things that go on, deaths and family, somebody struggling, this person needs you. You're getting calls from this person. And and for famous people, like it's it's a whole different scale. Like the amount of times people reach out to you, the, the amount of times people are pulling at you is something that unless you're around it or, or get some type of inside look at it, I don't know that you can really understand it. So to consider all that they they've been going through this year, it is it's wild to me. Like it's actually mind blowing when I think about it. And yeah, I definitely have some empathy towards that. For sure. And so on top of that, this team had to deal with, well, training camp was shorter than normal for everyone, but theirs was cut short by three or four days because three people within the organization tested positive for COVID, including Nasir Little. So they lost that. Then they they come into the season. Nurkic is out of shape, trying to work his way back in shape. Then he gets hurt. Then CJ gets hurt. And somehow, some way, they not only remained in the top eight, but like they were like tied for fourth for a minute. They were fifth. Uh, how impressed were you, were you with how this team was able to stay above water despite losing a combined 60 games from their second and third best player? Very impressed. Very impressed. Also not shocked. Mm-hmm. So consistently each year, whenever this team has hit some kind of valley, I have said I feel like there's a peak right around the corner. They're going to figure something out. And my first reason for saying that and believing that year in, year out is because I believe in the leadership of Damian Lillard at a level that I don't think could be any higher because I've been able to observe who this guy is and what he's about. And I understand how that then plays within an entire team. So although things may look rocky at certain points in the season, I always know, all right, Dame's in the center of it. And I know how he's making everybody else feel in addition to how well he's able to perform on the floor. Right. I was very impressed by it, by the way they were able to stay afloat and be at that level, the way that everybody was just able to really just stay together. Uh, again, also CJ, who I talked about earlier on, like he is a he plays a role in the way the locker room uh, maintains success and the culture, the attitude of the locker room. So like it was it was super impressive, man, because they they very easily could have gone in an entirely different direction, which we see a lot of teams do. Like there's a reason the Blazers are the only team now with that active streak of eight years in the playoffs, eight consecutive seasons. Uh, they just they 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 have a special way about them of staying together no matter what's going on, where a lot of other people would probably fragment. So I was I was impressed by it, but like it's not something I never wrote them off. You know what I'm saying? Like I so it didn't like shock me. Like oh my gosh, I can't believe they made this turn. I can't believe because I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't even last season before the bubble. I felt like they're gonna they're gonna make the playoffs somehow. I don't know how, but like the whole time <laughs> the whole time I was waiting to see because I was like I don't know how they're gonna do this one, but I feel like they will. Um, and then even once the schedule was announced, I I felt like. Like they're they're going to get the eight seed. So going into that play in with Memphis, before it even happened, I said they're not because they were on the outside looking in. Remember, like Memphis yeah. had the inside track, and I said no, 
somehow they're going to get it. And like, I really believe it. Like, I, I didn't know it. You know what I'm saying? But I wouldn't put money on it or something like that. But I knew Jane true, came in on a mission. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I knew that. I knew that. And I, I just knew the attitude they were going to have. So uh, it's, it's just been a lot of fun watching these guys um, in situations where it would be easy to write them off, uh, seeing them respond. That's been really, really fun. When CJ went down against Atlanta, they played San Antonio the next game. That was the first game without both CJ and Nurkish, and they lost. They got thumped at home. Then they, the two games with Memphis were postponed, and then they beat the Knicks at home, and then they lost to the Thunder. And I remember that was the most pissed off I remember Stotts being because they came in, like, I don't think Horford, wait, a couple of players. They had a few people that played. Horford and Maybe were out, and they, yeah. just, and they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league and lit Portland up. And I remember yeah. Stotts was hot. Mm-hmm. Then they go start the 16 road trip. At this point, I was like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> like, that Oklahoma City game was like, uh-oh. If they lose to Houston, Houston just made, I think just made the trade or something. And then Dame hit the, the miracle against Chicago, fine. They kind of got lucky in that game. And then they got thumped by Milwaukee. And so that so at that point, they were, what, two and four post-CJ going down. And so I really, I mean, I didn't write them off for the season. Mm-hmm. But I remember saying, yeah, this is going to be a really rough stretch for them. And then they proceeded to win eight of the next nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what? I was just like, wow. And yeah. granted, it wasn't all, I mean, it wasn't all good teams. You had Washington in there, Cleveland, Dallas was struggling at the time. OKC, but still, they won eight out of nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this maybe goes back to the question you asked a little earlier and is in what, what are some of the differences of my job? So remember, I was telling you how I've had the ability over the last four seasons to see the team. To, to physically see them after highs and lows. So I've been able now for four years to see them after a blowout loss on the road, get back to the hotel, get on the bus, walk into the next arena. And I've been able to see what are the mannerisms? What are the conversations? Where's the morale? And it's always been positive. Like it's always been even kill. It hasn't been unrealistic. It's been a a a mindset of, Hey, this is where we're at right now. But we're not, we don't want to stay here, but like we acknowledge this is where we're at. This isn't okay. And we got to, you know, get out of it, but we're going to stay together in the process. So I think maybe without me even knowing it, Aaron, being able to observe that is the reason why, maybe to a certain level, when they lose all those games you just talked about, like that game at OKC. Maybe that's the reason why, like, I'm not worried because I know how they truly think and feel in this moment. So that's why then they go win eight of the next nine. It's not like a shocker because to the outside looking in, it's like, wait, this team didn't look together. They didn't do, which could all be true. Like, there's times where on the floor, there's a game and it's like, they don't look together. They they seem like they don't even want to be here tonight. <laughs> but then, like, I know what it's like as soon as they leave. I know what the relationships are. I know how each one feels about the other. So it's like, okay, they had that night, but I can envision this thing turning around because of all those other little things that take place. Um, But yeah, man, that's just, that's who they've been. Uh, It'd be nice, you know, like if, if uh, they (laughs) didn't get into the hole and then have to dig out and they've acknowledged that. Uh, But I think to a certain extent, like the, the guys on his, on his team, specifically the leaders, like look at their upbringing, look at, how their careers got started it's been back against the wall it's it it hasn't been necessarily uh being in the front being the top ranked person playing at the top ranked school it's kind of that underdog mentality of we got to come get you 
you know, like we're a step or two back in some kind of way and we will come get you. Uh, and so, you know, th- those guys, they're, they're kind of wired that way. And, and that that's part of their evolution as pros. That's going to be part of whatever that next step is, is like, how do you not get into that situation to start off with and just continue to lead from the front all throughout? You know, one of the things along those lines is, uh, you know, sometimes I think fans forget that it's such a long journey and that peaks and values are just a given. And like sometimes I've commented to people on Twitter, I'm like, are you not paying attention to the rest of the league? If you look at every team yeah. in the league, except maybe the top four or five, everyone mm-hmm. just has these weird stretches where yeah. they're losing the teams they shouldn't lose to. And, I'm not, and I like to use Portland's own example of when they beat Philly that night without yep. Dame CJ. Like, <laughs> yep. Dame didn't play, and yep. they beat Philly. Now, Philly was on a back-to-back. They were without Ben Simmons. But my point was, this is the NBA. These, these things happen. And one of the things that always struck me about Damian the whole year is that he always seemed like, no matter what had happened, he always seemed like he was the captain of a ship. And he was steering that ship through uncharted waters, you know, with the pandemic and injuries and all these types of things. And he knew there were some rough seas ahead. He knew there was a, a, a sea serpent coming. <laughs> no, he, he knew there might be an iceberg in the middle of the Pacific for some reason. You know? <laughs> How did he get there? And he, right, and he was just going to have to help navigate things. And I remember when they lost to Minnesota right after the All-Star break. They, they lost to Phoenix and they beat Minnesota. Then they lost at Minnesota. And it was like, oh, my God, they lost the worst team in the league. What's happening? And Dane was just so annoyed at the idea that people were making – such a big deal about that because he's just like, that's an NBA team. And they had just thumped the Pelicans, who at the time were still in the playoff mix. So it's like, yeah, we lost. We had a bad night. We lost by two. They played really, really well. That's just part of life. And I felt like that his demeanor and his empowerment of players on the team, like CJ went out. Dane didn't go out there and score 50 a night. Mm-hmm. He made sure Trent was mm-hmm. involved. He made sure Simons was involved. And now look at Simons now. If Dane doesn't do that back then, Mm-hmm. Is, is mm-hmm. Simon's the same player right now? Mm-hmm. So it, it just goes to the, the the journey of a basketball team. However, again, when they hit the stretch where they where they lost, I'm looking at it right now, <laughs> seven out of eight, and we're just getting blasted, right? So more than that, hell, ten out of thirteen, and we're just getting just destroyed. I again was like, uh oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. But Dame was calm about it and Stotts was calm about it. So I'm segueing into Stotts here because there was a stretch where Stotts said, I feel good about where we're headed because Powell had been on the team for only a short amount of time. Nurkic had been back, but was still on minutes restriction. Dame was completely banged up. Like his April was one of the worst April um, months period of his life, of his career. He was, he was just playing horribly and admitted, admittedly so, but Stotts felt good about it. And then they lost by one to the Clippers without Dame before that they lost by one to Boston and Stotts was saying, yes, I still feel good about where we are. They lost by one to the Nuggets. And people were capping on him. Like, what are you talking about? You're still losing. But he knew that they were slowly turning the corner. So this leads me to, long, this is the longest question ever. But this leads me to Stotts. Because Stotts was saying what he thought was coming. And everyone was just bashing him about it. And he turned out to be 100% right because they did turn the corner and they won 10 of 12. So my question to you eight hours later is, how do you feel about the <laughs> job Stotts did this season, given everything we've already talked about? Uh, I think the, the fact that the team was in a position that they were in, uh, considering all the things that took place, it, it says a lot about his ability to keep a pulse on a team. 
which this there's another discussion that has to be had, which we don't have time to have right now. But it's what exactly is the role of the coach? Because it's really interesting how certain coaches are uplifted. Other coaches are criticized. And it's dependent a lot of times on, okay, well, what players are involved? If you look at the Lakers, the Lakers led by LeBron and AD. Mm-hmm. Frank Vogel isn't getting as much credit as LeBron and AD right. when they win. You know, but if, if uh, you know, he came in there last year and they lost, you know, he's probably possibly getting fired, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taking a lot of the blame and it's, oh, we got to get a new coach in there. So, like, the whole, <laughs> the whole coaching thing to me has always just been a really interesting conversation. Like, you could see a game where a team is down 20 at halftime. They come back in the second half and they win the game. And then there are some people who would say, oh, man, the coach made adjustments. And then you ask, well, what were the adjustments? And they couldn't tell you, they couldn't tell you yet. They couldn't tell you any adjustments. Right. Cause it wasn't an adjustment thing. So I think just kind of the way you gauge coaches, the whole, like, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. What I would say is, um, coach Stotts, I think this is where going back to, to what you said about the, uh, you know, like what he was saying the whole time. Like, I feel good where we're at. Coach Stotts will tell you, he will tell you the truth of how he really feels. But a lot of times it doesn't come across the way that an angry or a frustrated fan during a seven game losing streak, it may not come across the way they want to hear it. Right. They want to see it's, fire and brimstone yeah. and throwing chairs. And that's yeah. Thing. Yeah. But if you listen, he will tell you same thing with Dame. Like Dame will tell you mm-hmm. what he really feels but if he doesn't harp or coach shots that they don't harp on a certain element the way that a fan might want them to at that time, then it doesn't connect. That's the commu- the, yeah, the key exactly. Right. The communication doesn't take place. And I'm not saying this to say like it's a fan's fault because I would understand why a fan of a team would be upset that y'all just lost seven out of eight. Like, dude, what's up? You know what I'm saying? Like your defense is 29th ranked defense. Right. What's up? You know, y'all going to fix it? And I could understand a fan wanting to talk about that for 30 minutes rather than for, you know, you make a direct statement on it for 10 to 20 seconds. Even though you're, you're putting it out there, like it's direct, it's not enough. You know, like we, you know, we're frustrated. So like I get all of it. I get all the dialogue that has taken place this year around coach Dots. It's no secret that there's a huge segment of the fan base that is not happy with coach Dots. They don't want them. There's a huge segment that does want them. That's the role of this level. That's the role of being a player at this level, of being a coach that comes with it. As a broadcaster, I, <laughs> there's people that like me as a broadcaster. There's people who don't. And there's people that will let you know they like you. There's people who will let you know they don't. And that's part of the deal. So I don't, I'm not personally, I'm not even mad at the fans that, that have the things to say about coach and, you know, want to replace. And a big reason why not, Aaron, is because I don't even think Coach Stotts would want me to be. He wouldn't even care for me to be mad. He'd be like, Lamar, don't even waste your, you know, don't waste your time. It's the fans' right to feel how they want to feel. Uh, but I guess to kind of just kind of get back to your question to wrap this up, how do I feel about it? I feel like I know the pulse that he has on the locker room. Um, I feel like uh, his demeanor, the way that 
Um, he connects with the players at a at a in a certain respect. That is just as important as X's and O's. The way he's able to keep the locker room together in 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 um, collaboration with the le- the leaders of Dame and CJ, like it really is a collaborative effort, and then his coaching staff as well. Like this is one of those things that don't get highlighted a lot when when you talk about coaches around the league. Is well, who's on their team? Who's their coaching teammates? And Coach Dots has had some wonderful coaching teammates throughout the last few years since I've been here, um, and I just think. As a group, like they have done a really, really good job each year navigating whatever situations, elements have been thrown at them, while also having some things that they certainly need to improve upon. You know, like the defense does, I think, does need to be better. Um, there, there are certain things where, you know, you watch a certain game and it's like, man, the way they're guarding Dame, maybe if he's, maybe he's off the ball a little bit. You know, like maybe if they if they run this action, this will get them open. But then that goes into a whole nother dynamic where it's easy to say that. But also, we don't know how much Dame has maybe said, I don't want to be off the ball right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want, you know, like, and, and I'm not. Play the Allen yeah, Iverson role. Yeah. And I'm not insinuating that it's been one way or, the, or another. Right. But I'm just saying, like, when it comes to evaluating a coach, there's so much that goes into it beyond just the win-loss record. So what I can speak to is... Who I know Coach Stotts to be as a person, his connection with the team, with the players, um, his ability to navigate those tough waters along with Dame as a leader. And I, I, I think in those respects, he's done a great job at doing that. Right. My overall take is if someone wants to say he's been there nine years, maybe they need a change. Fine, whatever. Like, I'll just roll my eyes and go, whatever. But if anyone blaming him, like I hear all the time, he's wasting Lillard's prime. Mm-hmm. Are you really going to say it's Terry Stotts' fault they haven't won a championship? I think it's the Warriors with KD's fault. I think it's LeBron. <laughs> but LeBron has won titles in three different cities since yeah. Dame came in the league running yeah. around collecting teammates. I think yeah. it's their fault. I think it's, you know, the, the Spurs won the, the finals, I think, Lillard's first year in the league, you know, so there's a lot of faults out there yeah. that have nothing to do with Stotts and or Lillard, but, you know, such is life in the NBA, you know, as, yeah. as Stotts has said himself, this is the time of year when coaches get questioned and their job security gets questioned. It's just part of the business. So yeah, it let's, is. now let's, let's move on because regardless of how, how people feel about what Stotts did or didn't do, they made the playoffs as a sixth seed, uh, despite all the injuries they had, all the problems they had. And they got a, what I thought was a pretty favorable matchup in Denver, given that Denver especially lost Jamal Murray. However, there still is that size disadvantage that has been kind of, you know, making me feel. I mean, I picked Portland, but I was a little scared about that size disadvantage. After two games, coming back to Portland, how do you feel about where this team is against Denver? I feel good because I feel like the Blazers roster with who they're able to put out on the floor versus who the Nuggets can put out on the floor is better over the course of a seven game series. Doesn't mean the Nuggets won't win a game or multiple games, which we've already seen them win a game. Right. They still have good enough players to win games. But I think over the course of a seven-game series, more times than not, the actual better team wins that series. And I think the Blazers have a better team. Now, if Will Barton comes back, P.J. Dozier, just some extra bodies, it changes things a little bit. But I still think the Blazers still have the better team overall. It's interesting because... In both games, both wins for each team, it's been like a very comfortable win. Like more so for the Nuggets. The Nuggets were, were leading 
pretty much all game, the last and game two. But in game one, by the time you got to the fourth quarter, the Blazers felt really comfortable. So I want to, you know, they're going to meet in that middle ground at some point. Like we're going to have a one or two possession game at some point coming up. And that's where I think um, Jokic has been the MVP of the regular season. But I think Dame can be the MVP of this series. And I think in a close fourth quarter, uh, he can do enough to lift the Blazers to certain victories. Also, I think I expect CJ to perform at a really high level. So I just think when it comes down to it, tight games, fourth quarter, the Blazers have more high level performers um, that can get it done right now. So I feel very good about their chances. And, and, and really, I think they should win the series, not just could win it. I think they should win the series. Now, what about the size disadvantage factor with Michael Porter Jr. 6'10"? He's being guarded sometimes by Powell. Gordon's bigger than uh, uh, Covington. Jokic and Nurkic are, are awash there. But, they're, you know, size in the basketball, it's, it's important. It, it is. It is important. Uh, but you just got to win your matchup on the other end. So, mm-hmm. you know, Michael Porter Jr., his length is great on the offensive end. He's not necessarily known as a defensive stopper, at least not yet at this point in his career. So on that end of the floor, you have to find some way to create your advantage. So maybe it's he's not good navigating off of uh, or running off of uh, screens. So defensively, he's not a good lock and trail guy. He doesn't make the right decisions at the point of the screen. He tries to cheat it. So now the offensive player can flare and hide behind a screen. Things like that. That's that's where we were just talking about coaching. And, you know, the players having to go out there and do things, those are the decisions they have to make, how to expose that. So I think, yes, there is – Denver does have that size on on one end, but I think the Blazers have enough advantages on the other end that they can exploit that makes up for the lack of that size. I I wanted to ask you about Carmelo. Um, Very fascinating character, NBA character, a guy who's bounced around the league, obviously. Uh, not, Not too much, but later in his career, got released by Houston, found a home with Portland. Um, there's some out there like, oh, he's a defensive liability. He takes bad shots, whatever. I've always been of the mind, even before he's really hit his stride this season, that he brought so much to the team just with his aura, his presence, his, his basketball IQ, the influence he has on the younger players who all revere him. What do you think the overall impact has been of having Carmelo Anthony on this team? It's twofold, off the floor, on the floor. Off the floor, um, He's a rock star. He is on the floor too, yeah. <laughs> but, but off the floor, you see, you see the differences. Like on the floor, he walks into an arena and it's kind of the same overall because you still got Dame, who's a superstar. So the crowds are still similar. People before games trying to say hi, get an autograph. Like that's similar, whether Carmelo's on the team or not because of Dame. Off the floor, um, there's one example. We were in Toronto last season. And Mello, he rides the second bus or two buses that go to the arena generally um, that, that contain the players in it. And Mello will ride the second bus, which is the bus that I ride. And at that time, Kevin Calabro and Mello and I, we generally like we would hit the elevator at the same time. So like, you know, like I'm already on avail- I'm already on elevator. I'm going down. It stops on the floor. Like I know it's probably Mello getting in or vice versa. Like it was just how that's how it was timed up. Toronto, we get on the same elevator. We're going down. We're just talking. He and I, we know um, his his former Jumpman representative was a good friend of mine as well. So, like, we we talk about that connection a lot. And we were talking about it. The elevator stops at the bottom floor. And the lobby's pretty much empty. Um, there's nobody in there. 
and then I turn a corner and now I can see like the, the whole front door right. and there is a sea of people out there that normally, normally at this time for the second bus, there's maybe 10 people out there. If it's, if it's a large city, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe, maybe at that number is 15, 20. This time here, there was like a hundred people outside. And so we come out and this is how much it throws everybody off. This is the point I'm about to make. So I, I walk out the building first, uh, cause I'll, I try to like, whenever I don't have to run into the guys in those situations, I try not to like, and I try to give them their space just so that they don't always feel like, Oh, it's Lamar. He might ask us something about the game or whatever. So as soon as we got off the elevator, like I made sure to just kind of scurry off. So I walk out the doors first. The crowd, as I'm walking out, they're just now able to see Mello from where he's turning the corner. So I'm walking out and the crowd just erupts, 100 people. So I get on the bus and already on the bus, Hersey Hawkins is on the bus uh, who works in the Blazers uh, uh, basketball operations side and a couple of the players. And they're like, Lamar, them people cheering for you like that? And I was like, no, no, no. And I pointed <laughs> back. I pointed back and they saw it was Mello. And so because normally second bus, you don't hear nothing like that. So it caught everybody off guard. Uh, but that's the kind of effect he brings off the floor. It's like a superstar, rock star type thing. It's always crowds on the floor. I think you've seen it. You've seen a lot of it play out. So I don't think I need to get too far into this, but uh, just the respect he commands, not only from his teammates, but from opponents, because players, players respect Melo like no other. Like it's it's front offices and fans that feel a certain way about Melo, but players they they still think he's the scoring champ. Yeah, well, they're they're in that wheelhouse where they were kids playing him on two K. Yes, like, people talk about it. It's the truth. Like yes, he's played so long now that some of these players. They're, I mean, he's old enough biologically to be their father. Yep. Right? Like, right? Not, yep. You know, we have to have some of that 15, 16. But the point being is that they literally were little kids idolizing him and they yes. got to play with him. Yes. It means a lot. It means a lot. Yeah. So um, for the Blazer players, it's great. Not just for the young guys, not just for like Anthony, CJ Ellaby, uh, Nasir Little, not just for them, for Damian Lillard, CJ yeah. McCollum. Like, there's a level of respect from those guys who understand who Carmelo Anthony was and still is so it's 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 just been great it's been great all around the last thing um i still wonder what the path is going to be for this this franchise to win a championship like i still i still feel they need another star and that's just you know basically every team that's won a title in the last however many years has had multiple all-stars on the team i thought it would have been amazing had dame been able to close out the mvp he clearly was the front runner for a while that mm-hmm. month of april killed him and of course mm-hmm. Jokic was amazing et cetera, et cetera. yep but to me, if they if they don't win a title in the next four years, if he can win an MVP, how much that would mean to to Blazer fans in this city? Uh, because there, there hasn't been one since you know Walton seventy eight, just like there hasn't mm-hmm. been a title since mm-hmm. Walton seventy seven. But I feel like it would almost be a validation of not only the Blazers but Lillard and Lillard's commitment to Portland, and you know just his his obvious uh, the way he's embraced the city and the city's embraced him. If they can't win a title, you know, do you think him getting MVP someday could at least offer something, you know, euphoric for fans? I think it, yes, I think it tells the story of who he is. Like he's truly our MVP. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not everybody else's MVP. You know, like the award is is it's an NBA award, 
but it goes to a specific player on a specific team. But this one, I would refine that even more because it tells the story of uh, him being our MVP Mm -hmm. um, highlights the fact that he wanted us as a city of Portland, state of Oregon, Blazer fan, Rip City. So while um, he would definitely prefer a championship over an MVP, and I believe all the fans would too, at least the majority of them. Yeah. Yeah. If he could at least get the MVP, that's something that we will all be able to celebrate. Anybody that's been a part of his career, player, fan, broadcaster, coach, whatever, you'll feel a certain sense of it because we all know the story. We all know after the five game losing streaks and then the rumors come out that Damian Lillard might get traded to New York. Oh, Damian Lillard wants to go pair up with LeBron James in LA. Like we all know here internally, we know like that's not true. Like he doesn't want that. Like you're trying to put this on him, but he, and so we've seen him actively fight against that. So for him to someday win the MVP award, it'll be like all of these, all those conversations come back. You know what I'm saying? All of the false rumors. And it's like, no, that was our guy. He he stood firm in his commitment, and he has now been acknowledged as the league's most valuable player. There's a columnist in New York when they were struggling who wrote something about Lillard could be frustrated and won out of Portland this summer. The Knicks could have a shot at him. And the and the trade offer he proposed was, did you, did you see this? It was four no, number I, one picks, which is a lot. And Mitchell Robinson is the centerpiece. And I just I just clowned it. I'm like, why on earth would the like the Blazers have him under contract? He would have to demand and fight to get out of his, you know, make them trade him. And the last thing the Blazers would do is take four picks from the Knicks because if you give them Lillard, those are going to all be picks bad picks to thirty, <laughs> right? And then Mitchell Robinson, who's a nice young player, he might end up being very good. Who knows? Yeah. But that's your centerpiece. Like to yes. me, it's like you have to start with at least R.J. Barrett and something else, or maybe it's Randall. And like, like it was just comical to me. Yeah. It just shows how some people people out there, and part of this is Stephen A. Smith's fault. He keeps <laughs> going around saying how Lillard needs to get out of Portland, which drives me bananas yeah. because it's like, so every small market team is just supposed to be a farm system for New York, L.A., and yeah. Chicago. I'm yeah. a Bulls fan, so I would love that, yeah. but <laughs> it would be unfair. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that the national mentality about Lillard is totally disconnected from what we know about Lillard. Now, I do think... When this contract runs out, if he's 34, 35, making 50 mil a year and they're not going to win it, it may be, maybe it's beneficial for both sides to say, okay, Dan, we can get this for you and start over and we can send you here and you'll have a chance to win it with X and X. And he might go, okay. And then maybe he comes back for one more year when he's 38 and retires a blazer. Who knows? But it's just comical how think people come up with these fantasies. Yeah, it's, um, it's gotten to a point where I think they, you know, some of these proposals are coming up with, it's just like, you just got to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks right. because <laughs> nothing else has to this point. So all the people that are supposed to be credible journalists in that world saying, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that Lillard might end up there. Now they're at a point where it's like, we can't really be, you know, we, we, we can't just throw out, I guess, our opinion. So now you're saying here at the New York Times, somebody there, whoever that was, they just, you know, went to the deep end with it and just grabbed something and yet, yeah. Uh, but no, I think the point you make too is, is, is accurate where, you know, like, Hey, maybe a few years from now, if both sides see a reason to do this, then that's, that's a different discussion. Um, Dame, like I was talking about earlier, like he'll tell you the truth. You just got to listen to it. He might not harp on it, but he'll tell you. And he has been clear in saying he enjoys and loves his situation in Portland. 
Right. You know, like it's a good situation. If that situation changes in a way to him that it's no longer the same situation he loved the same way, then who knows how he feels? So I, I think it speaks uh, also to the organization has done enough up until this point where Dame has felt good enough to say, this is where I want to put my roots while still being very vocal in what he would like to continue to see happen and um, the things that he would like to continue to see move forward to that direction of pursuing a championship. So like there's been a bunch of honest conversations had and and he'll have it right in front of us. So um, what I would say is until you hear Damian Lillard tell you he wants to go elsewhere, I I wouldn't believe one, one bit of it. Well, he said last summer, I think during the bubble, he said that, or maybe it was this fall camp, but anyway, or not fall camp, but uh, training camp. He said, um, if I don't win it here, I'll be cool with that. Yes. Because yes. I tried. Yes. And, I, and, I, and that resonated with me more than anything, uh, because I think he sees like, like, okay, Durant has two rings, but Durant took the easy path. I always say that. If Dame wanted to, when he was a free, agency, free agent, he could have said, oh, I'm going to go to L.A., and play with LeBron easily, and then we're going to get AD, and yep. we're going to three peat. Yep. But he knows that's like turning on two K and playing rookie level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wants to win two K at Hall of Fame level, yep. right? Yep. And, and that's just a different mentality because yes, in the NBA we've seen teams, players orchestrate hooking up mainly with LeBron, mm-hmm. and if you do that, yeah, anyone can win a title. Like what's going on with the Nets? I think the Nets are going to win it mm-hmm. if you take. Three All-Stars, three Hall of Famers, two with MVPs, two have won multiple scoring titles, and you put them on the same team, they're probably going to win it. Yeah. But where's the challenge? Where's yep. the, the fight? And Lillard wants that grind. Now, if the Blazers can make a trade and bring in another star to him to help him win it, that does help. But he still went through the grind to bring it to Portland, didn't jump ship to go somewhere else to take the easy path. Yeah, the Blazers making a trade. That, and that's the thing he's always tried to distinguish for people because people – they, 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 they will say that to him like, oh, if KD decided he wants to come to Portland, you wouldn't want that? And he's saying, no, if he wants to come to me, he can come. Right. I'm not going to anybody else. Like, right. if they want to come to me, then come on. I'm staying here. You can join me or not. And I think the whole thing goes back into who Damian Lillard is. Because, Aaron, I feel like there are more NBA players who come into the league who want to be able to do that. But they, they can't then handle it when the media starts talking about, well, you're not going to be one of the all-time greats. You're not going to be known as better than this guy if you don't go do this. And everybody's not built to handle that. And that goes to who Dame has been before he even stepped foot in the league. He's surrounds himself with the right people. Um, I've got an opportunity to know a lot of his family members. They give him the real. They come from the real. And there's a certain way that they do their business. So I remember my my first couple seasons, like it didn't take long as I'm learning about Damian Lillard. I'm learning about some of his family. I'm learning about some of the people around him where I knew, oh, no, he's serious. He's he's dead serious. So like after after a season, a season and a half, maybe whenever all these rumors would come up, I never thought twice about him. I literally I never did. I, I did not put any credence into any of it because I like once you know who he is then you get everything that comes after that like you understand like what he means when he says certain things so it's not not just lip service yeah not at all 
All right, last thing I'll close, man. We've been going for a long time. Thanks for <laughs> spending your afternoon with me today. Wi-Fi in the background, like, what's up? That was nah, much. <laughs> um, okay, so when I had Jordan on, I asked him who would win in a game of one-on-one. He wouldn't answer, so I'm gonna ask you who would win. Have you guys ever played hoops together in any fashion? We played against each other in college. No, I know that. I'm talking oh. about now, like lately. No, yes. no, 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 no. We haven't played in any fashion. No, man, this pandemic has been I'm going gonna, on. You can't be so out here. I mean, that's playing. true. That's a good point. I want to, but since the pandemic's winding down, I want to uh, sponsor the pay per view one on one. Hey, yeah, y'all gonna have to pay a lot. <laughs> you have to pay a lot for me to get out there. Jordan, Jordan might be able to get out there, and you know, like he is. You talk about elite athleticism, as you know, he has it. So he probably get out there three sixty right now. You know, run a <laughs> run a four four and a forty. Not and all you, that. not no, you, man. I need some warm up time. I need some real <laughs> warm up. You're only you're only like thirty four, right? That's not what my phones are saying, though. That's not, <laughs> that's not what they're saying. I am not out there trying to make any points. I'm not trying to relive any former heydays, man. I am cool. I am cool. So I had to go back and look at some head-to-head matchups between you two. Okay. Uh, January 8th, 2005, you guys lost at Oregon. Uh, Jordan had six points off the bench. You started in 23 minutes. You didn't score. You only took one shot, but you had three assists. You didn't like shooting the rock? Were you just the guy? Oh, no. That's my... Oh, no, that's my junior season. My junior season was my worst season of basketball ever. Oh, okay. uh, So. And your senior year, you missed a lot of games because you were hurt, right? Yeah. I missed, like, all Pac- most of Pac-12 play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing about my college career is so in my college career, my best year was actually probably my freshman year. It was after my freshman season that I went home to Texas and um and uh one of my former teammates in high school said, Hey, did you see your your name on the draft boards? And I'm thinking, draft boards? Like what like I I'm not <laughs> the, the military draft. Yeah, like seriously, like what are you talking about? <laughs> and he pulls up NBA Draft Express. Right. And it shows in the second round for projected picks after the next season, they thought I would be on there. That is the only time my name was ever on a draft board. Because from there, from there, my next season going to college, my coach and I began to clash in a way I never experienced mm. from a coach before. And I had a lot of mental struggles on the floor. Um, I, I learned during my college time how to be accountable for everything I do and who I'm going to be. Because that was a time in my life where I cared way too much about maybe how I was perceived and how other people felt about me that I didn't need to care about. So it was a really tough learning lesson because um, it resulted in the loss of a lot of opportunity on the basketball floor. Uh, but it was nobody's fault but my own at the end of the day. So yeah, man, that junior year, I had multiple games where I either didn't shoot, you know, like if you, I, I bet if you go, I don't know what you're looking at now, but if you go down a list, there's games where I didn't shoot shots or I shot one shot, you know, like it was, yeah, it was a really. The second time you guys played Oregon, uh, you guys won at home. I remember covering, I covered Oregon that season. Okay. Uh, you guys upset them and you had only three points. You took one shot again. Yeah. You were one for one, I think with a three and then you had five assists though. So okay. You were starting and playing a lot of minutes, but you were not shooting the rock. Correct. Correct. Um, which is really that, and and that's part of the thing. Um, the, I know we're at the end of the podcast, but we could do a whole nother one on that experience <laughs> because um, there was a huge disconnect between my coach and I. My coach didn't understand. My coach recruited me late in the process, my senior year, so it wasn't like the, a situation where it's a coach that's watching you for months, 
recruiting you, knows your game. So once you get into a system, he plugs you into knowing what you can do. Like I played high school AAU basketball with Kendrick Perkins, who is now the analyst for ESPN. We played on the Houston Hoops. They wanted me on the team to be a floor spacer for Kendrick and a leader at the point guard position. If you told somebody that when I was in college that I was a floor spacer, they would have laughed because nothing in my game showed you that I was a floor spacer. So um, like um, that whole experience really feeds into me as a broadcaster as well, because I know as well as anyone, um, when you see certain players out there on the floor, the perception might be that that guy can't do A, B, and C, but there might be some other reasons why it's not showing itself on the floor. There's a reason why it's not manifesting itself. Um, so like I just, I, and, and I remember my, my first time going into a Blazers practice once I took the job in 2016. I'm watching and I'm looking at the way that Coach Stotts is talking to the guys. And I told Kevin Calabro, who was sitting next to me, I said, something happened. Something happened in his playing career or coach, something happened that impacted the way that he is talking to these guys. And Kevin's like, well, what do you mean? Why do you say that? And, and at this time, like, this is my first time seeing coach practice. And I said, I can just tell. I can tell the way he's talking to them, something that, because I lived it. So right after practice, we asked Coach Stotts, hey, you know, we noticed how you were talking to this guy when he was shooting this. Did something happen? So Coach Stotts went on to tell us a story about when he was in college, there's times when, you know, the ball might get swung to him. And as a player, because of the wording that his coach was giving him, there was times where he didn't know, am I supposed to shoot this shot? Um, am I a good shooter? How? So he goes through this whole story. And Kevin kind of looks at me like, man, he said that. And I said, dude, I'm telling you, I have lived it. So like, I understand how a person who might be a knockdown shooter at one stage in their career can't get the ball to the rim. You know what I'm saying? Another. It's a weird deal, but it happens. And, um, you know, like I wish it didn't happen for me the way that it did, but it did for a reason. And, you know, it's my job now to to use that situation I kind of went through and figure out, all right, man, how can I help somebody else maybe avoid that or or when they're in the middle of it? Like, how can I what can I give them? Like, I remember one of the early conversations I had with one of the Blazer players was with Myers Leonard. It was my first year. And you remember Myers, he was going through us just mentally. He was all over the place. Like he even talked about it. He'd drive to the arena, want to turn around, go back home. Like, and I could see it. And so like, I didn't, I didn't immediately come right in and tell him, Hey Myers, man, this is what I went through. This is how I dealt with it. Cause it's like, dude, who are you? I don't even know you. Like you didn't even play in the league, but I let our relationship kind of develop to a point where like, I knew like, all right, if I, if it presents itself where we can talk and I can say something, then I'll offer what I can, if if possible. And there was one time we did have a, a little bit of a conversation kind of touching on all that. And I could see like, oh yeah, he's he's starting to figure it out. Like he's starting to venture out of this. So like when he had those games, his last games as a Blazer in the playoffs against Golden State, like it's like, oh no, I saw that coming. Not again, not to the level of, oh, he's got 30 points or whatever, but like I saw a mental breakthrough coming because you can tell the way people start talking, the way they believe, like, because people will say stuff like, all right, I, I don't care what this person says about me. But a lot of times they do. You know, like they don't they, they want people to like them and think which is natural. That's normal. But in some situations, you got to get to a place where you understand, like, this is my mission. 
This is my job. This is what I have to do. And I can't let anything bump me off that path. And it could be a tough place to get to. And it took me a long time to get there all through my college years. Uh, but I feel like I, I've been able to get there and um, I guess reap reap the benefits of once you're able to get into that mental state uh, of being able to do what you need to do. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time. Man, we went an hour 13. That's a new yeah. Blazer-focused podcast record. <laughs> <laughs> man, kudos to anybody who hangs around for the whole thing. That's a long time. <laughs> but thanks for having me on. Well, one last thing. I, I, obviously, you're going to pick the Blazers to win the series. I did, too. How many games is this going? Six, seven, five? What do you think? I'm going to go with six just because I don't feel good about the closeout in seven at Denver, which I know it's like, well, you know, the team did it two years ago. Yes. But numbers history would tell you if you can stay away from that home court game seven, then do it. So I'm just going to go with six for that purpose. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for hanging with me for an hour. And mm-hmm. when you see Jordan, you know, let him know that, uh, I'm just joking. I love working with him. I don't need support counseling. He knows. He knows. He has grace. All right, man. Thanks for All right. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks again to Lamar Hurd for joining me on the Blazer Focus podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. Please remember to click the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode of the Blazer Focus podcast as we navigate through these playoff waters. I will be back with another episode soon. And thanks for listening.